Welcome and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now let's join Lynn Alcorn from Hope Centre Brisbane for her message. I'll just tell you a little bit about myself just so that you get a little bit of background. Um, I'm a third generation Pentecostal uh, person. Um, My grandparents got saved. They were living up in Townsville and they got saved up there and uh, Then they came down to Brisbane. Um, Mum and Dad, well, Dad got saved in Brisbane. And then his parents went up to uh, the Daintree. They were up in the Daintree as missionaries to Indigenous people in the Daintree. And uh, then they came back to Brisbane. And then my parents got married and they went as missionaries over to India. And so my two sisters were born over there. And I'm the only true blue Aussie of the three of us. So I was born in Australia. And uh, so that's just a little bit about my background. And um, the church that is now Hope Centre was my church growing up. That was my childhood church. So it's kind of gone a full circle and back where we started from. So tonight... Um, I've been given the subject of, because I understand you're doing Genesis at the moment, and I understand you've done three weeks and got to Genesis 1-1. Okay, I could do Genesis 1-2 in about three minutes, but uh, it may not have the quite amount of depth that you're used to. So, but I was told that you were going to be up to the Tower of Babel, last week so we're doing Abraham tonight so there is quite a gap there so can I just give you a little bit of an introduction a little bit of background there Um, and my style is probably well not probably it is very different to Pastor Ben's okay so um If I can just summarise Genesis chapter 1 to 11, we don't actually have a specific timeline that that has covered, but it is understood when you do the genealogies and you work out years and, you know, how many who would live for so many years and you work it all back, it could possibly be in excess of 2,000 years from Genesis 1 to 11. But what you find in those 11 chapters is actually that it was very events-oriented. So you find you've got creation. Then the next thing we find we've got the fall, where Adam and Eve were um, fell and they sinned. Then you've got the flood, where you've got Noah who took his family, which he had, of which he had three sons, and uh, they were... Shem, Ham and Japheth and they and their wives as you know went into the ark 40 days 40 nights and then there was about 120 days before the the waters subsided and they were able to get out and then after that we come to the Tower of Babel where the significant verse I suppose with that one was when God looked down and he said, this is one language and if they put their minds to it, if man puts his minds to it, 
there is nothing, nothing that they won't be able to accomplish. And so that's when he confused the languages and things like that. So then at that time, the three boys went in different directions. Now, I don't have a map or anything, but if you have your geography hats on, Shem went to that northern Asian region, probably more what you know now as Iraq, Iran, um, Turkey, that kind of an area. Then you had Ham, who went across to Egypt and the northern part of Africa and that. And then Japheth, who kind of went north into Europe. And so probably around the top end of the Mediterranean and around there. So they were, that was the world that Genesis covers. That was, the, that was the part of Genesis there. Then we come to Genesis chapter 12. From Genesis 12 to Genesis 50, it's about 360 years. So in that 360 years, we find as we read the scriptures there that it changes. It's not so much events, but it's really people-oriented. And God starts to um, talk about, or we hear all the stories about the patriarchs. We hear about Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, and Joseph. That's the rest of the book of Genesis is written about them. But tonight we're especially going to have a look at Abraham. And we're going to have a look at how he actually, as you know, that at the fall, Adam and Eve gave up their, or they tarnished the image that God had for them. God had said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And what had happened was that when, when Adam and Eve sinned, they tarnished that image. They made a mess of it, basically. Um, because when God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground, he wanted them to actually take dominion and be in charge of the earth and look after the earth. But he made man in his image. And that as you know, is not a physical image because God is spirit. So it's not a physical image. So then we have to look at how to, what was the likeness that God created man? And what was that all about? So if we have a look, we know that we're body, soul, and spirit. But the, the thing that I see, the nature of God... In, if we have a look at our mental capacities, the image of God in our mental capacities, we're given reason, we've been given a conscience, we've been given will. So in that aspect, that's one area where we are image makers of God or image reflectors of God. Then there is the moral side of things. We're called to be righteous. 
We're called to be holy. And so righteousness and holiness are two aspects of the, of the moral side of God's character of which we are to be image reflectors. And then there's the social side, which is community. This is community. When we come together, our family units are community because in that there is companionship, we have love, acceptance, affection, and doesn't that sound to you, does to me, that sounds to me like that is the character of God, love and affection and acceptance and community and being in a family unit and so in those three areas, I believe, that's where we are image reflectors and that's where God had wanted us right from the very beginning with Adam and Eve when he said, let us make man in our image because we can see Father, Son and Holy Spirit working together in community and working in that way. So this original design was marred and it was tarnished at the fall and it became warped have you ever seen a piece of wood when it's been left out in the rain or something and it gets a bit of a if it's a soft wood that is it can get a warped feel about it and that's what happened with man there was a warped sense about him and that was because of sin but then without calling on the lord Without man calling on the Lord, we find that just the trajectory of man was a downward, downward spiral. I can't remember which uh, theory it is, but anything left to its own will go downwards. So that's why we need God in our lives. That's why when Abraham came along, God saw in him something that would he'd be able to work with and change and be able to bring him back to his original plan that was that we or that mankind would be someone who reflected God's image. So a bit of background about Abraham. He was a descendant of Shem. So from that probably what was the old world Mesopotamia, which is now modern-day Iraq. So that's the area where he was from. And his father, Terah, decided to move the family from Ur of the Chaldees, which was down the bottom of Mesopotamia. Um, just letting you know, too, that in school, one of my favourite topics was geography. So sorry about that. You'll get a bit of this. Um, so Mesopotamia, Iraq, down the bottom was Ur of the Chaldees and that's where Abraham grew up basically. Then Terah decided to change, to move his family from that location up to Haran which is up in the north of Mesopotamia. Now it's a, it's a distance probably of about 885 kilometres. So probably took them a bit of time to get there. Uh, they would have travelled the routes, the, the um, trade routes, 
because that's how they travelled in those days. And if you have a look, you've got the Tigris River. Don't you love my maps? (laughs) You've got the Tigris River, the Euphrates River, and they join and flow into the sea. (laughs) Can't remember which one. But Ur of the Chaldees was around down the bottom of the Euphrates and then up the top was Haran. So they would have followed the river. Now you follow a river because you've got a water supply. So of course the trade routes are going to follow rivers or they're going to follow places where, because obviously in those days you've got herds, you've got camels, you've got all sorts of animals that would have been their transportation. And so you didn't need um, servos, you needed oases or you needed water. And so they would have followed all of those trade routes. That's how they got all of their things from one place to another. Now, Terah had taken his family And with the intention of going up and around to Canaan, which we know is modern-day Israel. So he would have wanted to go that way, but they stopped. They stopped at the top when they got to to, um, Haran. Now, Abraham's ancestors, they would have been idolaters and poly. Theistic. Does anybody know what polytheistic means? Yes? That's it. Worship more than one God. So the poly, they were polytheists. So they had many gods. And even Joshua in Joshua 24 verse 2, he made reference to it. He said, long ago your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. So he wasn't a God follower at that time. Um, We also find that archaeological discoveries and historical writings show that both Ur in the lower Mesopotamia and Haran up in upper Mesopotamia were centres of moon worship. As we came out of the hotel tonight, we were having a look in the sky and just that slither of the moon was really beautiful. But what these guys had done or what had happened is that rather than worshipping the one true God, they worshipped the things that God had created. And so they had stopped becoming the true image reflectors of God but God was going to change that now worship involved temples as well as ziggurats sounds gross doesn't it I suppose it depends where you put the emphasis really Um, these ziggurats were like step towers you know when you have you ever seen displays of the tower of what people thought the tower of Babel looked like well, a ziggurat was fairly similar to that. It was, if you you can Google it if you like, Z-I-G-G-U-R-A-T. Um, but it was like a square uh, mound of rock or of uh, baked clay bricks. And then they would step it up 
So like a funny-shaped pyramid with steps up the side. Um, so that's, that's the sort of things that had been built by this time. So they would offer sacrifices, they would offer drink offerings to their deities. So when you think that they were worshippers of the moon, they could possibly have been worshippers of the sun, they could have been worshippers of any, anything, any celestial being. So they had all of the things that temples have. They had priests um, and all of that sort of thing. By the time we get to Abram in Genesis 12, he is now a monotheist, which means one God, mono. Now, we don't know how we got there. How did, you know, sometimes we love to hear stories of people, don't we? We love to hear how people get saved. We love to hear what their journey has been. How did they come to meet God? But the Bible is quite silent on that particular thing. That all it says is that Abraham received a word from God. How did he know it was God? You know, sometimes we, we read scripture and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I always question, how did he even know? How did God reveal himself to him even prior to that? When God said, I want you to come out of, I want you to leave your father's household. I want you to leave everything that you know. And I want you to leave that behind and I want you to go to another place. How did he know who that was speaking to him? I just believe that his heart was obviously searching for something else. Because, you know, we've got to, or I, I think we all know that at some stage all of us have been searching. We've always had a search to find God for ourselves. You can be brought up in the church and have generations of church uh, and teaching and stuff like that, but you still have to find God for yourself. And it's the same, I believe, for Abraham here, that he was searching for something. Uh, it, as we look at it, as we look through the scriptures, he started to use two words for God. One was El, which is a generic word that was part of God's character, speaking of him being a deity and also of uh, the Hebrew word Yahweh. Um, and sometimes Yahweh is translated Jehovah or Almighty God. So here we've got Abraham who is living up in Haran with his father, his wife, his brother, and his brother's son being Lot. So they're living up there. Um, and it would seem that his call, so he was called of God, but it would seem that his call initially was circumstantial. He was just in the family unit that had been decided 
that they would move from Ur of the Chaldees up to Haran. And so that seems like it's just the family decided to shift. But how many of us know that sometimes there are stepping stones to what God really wants to do in our lives? And so that seemed like a circumstantial thing. But then he got something specific. There was a specific call that came. Um, So he, in Genesis 11 verse 31, it gives us an account of who uh, went with Terah. And then in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Hebrews 11 verse 8 tells us that his response was immediate because it says, By faith Abraham, when called to to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I find that, uh, I like that because he obeyed even though he didn't know where he was going. And if we relate that to ourselves today, there are times when we're so comfortable in a place and then God says, I want you to move and we've got a choice. We either say, no, I don't want to go or I'll trust you, God even though this is uncomfortable. We, um, for the ladies who were here on uh, Wednesday night, when Hannah spoke, spoke about, you know, being in a stretch that was uncomfortable and painful. And then yesterday, we did some stretching exercises. <laughs> it was quite funny. Uh, but being in that, stretch and being in that place where it's not comfortable you can't tell me that Abraham he obeyed God but you can't tell me that it was easy for him to do that he was leaving his father's house he was leaving and you know in those days in that era you know you usually kept the family together for numerous generations and that but he obeyed God his response was immediate and the other thing that he did was we've got a couple of places where he built altars on his journey one was at Shechem which is once again up in the northern part of Israel Uh, And then again near Bethel. And these were places where he actually met with God. So, And he built an altar there. But what's the significance of an altar? 
An altar is a place, it marks a place where you meet with God and where God speaks to us. It's a place, it's not a place where you necessarily camp, but it is a place where you recognize the voice of God and you can mark that. Uh, And it's very, you know, that was something that was very important because it sort of, it gave the whole thing of being a forward progression. He didn't stagnate, but he moved forward. There was an altar that was built that marked the place where God spoke to him, but he moved forward and went forward in his progression. On two occasions, Abraham strayed from his call. So he was human like the rest of us. He had a little bit of a hiccup along the way once when there was a famine in the land and we read about that in Genesis 12 verses 10 to 20 see I told you I wasn't like Ben we're getting through this really fast (laughs) and I don't speak as fast as him either Um, so on these two occasions the first one was when there was a famine in the land And then there was the time after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 20. On both of these occasions, on both of these occasions, Abram lied about Sarah. He said, she's my sister. Which wasn't a total lie. He, she, it is possible that she had, and I think it even, sorry, I haven't got the scripture verse, but she was, uh, it is possible that they had the same father but different mother. Um, and in those days, that was not an uncommon thing. So he didn't really lie, but Sarah at the time was not living as his sister she was living as his wife and so Abram lied about that because not for her protection for his own and so there was this whole thing a you could say well if God had God really had him in mind and was going to protect him then he needn't have worried about the famine God would have provided for him and he wouldn't have needed to go down to Egypt. But how many of us know that God teaches us lessons? When we make mistakes and when we move out of what is the best God has for us, he teaches us lessons. And those sorts of things just help us to grow in our relationship with God. On both of these occasions, There's no record of Abraham calling on God. There's no record of any altars being built. So his spiritual progress actually came to a bit of a standstill. But then he got back on track both times and returned to his place of blessing. So I'm just going to touch now on the promise that God had given Abram. And the covenant that he also get, gave him. Following the separation of Abram and Lot, where Lot chose the fertile plains, 
and Abram kept the, uh, the hills, uh, God restated his promise and made a, com- uh, a covenant with Abram in Genesis 15, verses 1 to 6. We might just have a quick look at that. Sorry, I didn't put it up on the screen. Um, I said to some students at Hope Academy the other, the other week, we went old school, pen and paper, and uh, <laughs> we had a show-and-tell lesson, actually. Um, after this... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. The promise of a son and an heir, the offspring of as numerous as the stars of the sky. You guys have a beautiful, uh, you know, it's great. You can go outside on a clear night and you can see all the stars. It's magnificent. We city slickers, you can't see that because there's too much light from the city and you can't see the stars. And so sometimes we just have to look up and see the incredible expansiveness of God's creation and understand that he sees us down here on earth. He sees us and he has promises for each one of us. As well as the promise of a son, He was also promised lands to possess. And if you keep reading through that chapter, there is the lands that he was to possess. And then it came to the covenant that God made between, God made with Abraham. This is where his name got changed. It was also very painful for him. But it was a covenant that God made with him. And, you know, sometimes when we go into covenant with God, it can, uh, the New Testament speaks, well, we're talking about circumcision here, but the New Testament speaks of circumcision as not being something that is of human hands, but of something of the heart. When God takes away the fleshy, the the parts of our heart that are not open to him and he is able to give us a soft heart and cause us to have covenant relationship with him. If you want some verses to back that one up, um, there's Romans 2, 28 to 29, Colossians 2, verse 11, 
which says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. In other words, when you came into relationship with him. But in this area of, of covenant, uh, it was a sign between God and Abraham and the generations to come. But the thing with this covenant was that if Abraham had been a contracting party within this, the covenant would never have been fulfilled. But it was an unconditional covenant that God made with Abraham. We get that picture when in the, in the Bible it says how the different animals had been split in two and they'd been split and one side, you know, Abraham had to split them and put one side, one on each side. And then God worked, walked through the middle and that signified by the torch that was there. So when this was, this ritual, when a, sorry, when a ritual like this was mutual, then both parties would walk through the severed pieces, but only God walked through. So it was an unconditional uh, covenant that was not reliant upon Abram's purity and Abram's capacity. It was totally God. And then that's where his name got changed and where Sarah's name got changed and where the promise was reiterated in chapter 17, verse 19. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And that's where we get a glimpse of God's plan for humanity. That the descendants after him, there would be a covenant with the descendants after him. And we get a picture of Jesus being the one who was going to um, be part of that covenant. Uh, so the promise was reiterated there and Isaac, the name Isaac actually means laughter. So this promise was finally fulfilled after 25 years of waiting. That's a long time. That is a long time, 25 years from when God first promised to when Isaac was born. And yet the Bible tells us that Abraham didn't waver in his faith. So his journey was huge. In verse, uh, we read it before, chapter 15, verse 6, it says, Abraham believed in the Lord and he credited, credited, that's hard to say, it to him as righteousness. Uh, the response that Abram gave is uh, referred to three times in the New Testament. Once in Romans 4 verse 3, Galatians 3 verse 6, James 2 verse 23. I'll let you look that up because I'm watching the clock. <laughs> 
after waiting 25 years for the fulfillment of God's promise, the evidence of what he and Sarah hoped for was revealed. Now having, having watched Isaac grow up and develop into a young boy, a young man, some commentaries will say he could have been as old as 25 when he went up the mountain with his father. That would be very difficult. Um, but Abram, when God said to Abram in Genesis 22, I want you to take your son and I want you to take him and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now we've got to remember that way back, Abram would have, Abraham would have been very used to sacrifices and possibly human sacrifices. And here, the God that he had grown to love, the God that had given him this promise, was now asking him to sacrifice his son. Can you imagine the questions that would have gone through his mind? What a burnt offering. You want me to sacrifice my son, my promise. You know, you want me to sacrifice him. You want me to do it now. You want me to do it on the mountain. But why? How many times do we ask God why? And we don't get an answer to that question. We can get a, an answer to the what, the who, the when, the where. But sometimes we don't get an answer to the why. And so does our faith waver when we don't get an answer to the why? Or is it, God, I'm still going to trust you. And we know the story. Um, I believe that Abraham had already sacrificed Isaac. He'd sacrificed his will to the will of God. And doesn't that remind you of somebody? Not my will, but yours be done. And so right through this whole story of Abraham we have a thread that points us back to God bringing back into line the fact that mankind can be image bearers of God. Each time God communicated with Abraham, he added something more to what he had communicated the, the time before. And each time he showed himself in a different way. He revealed more of his character to Abraham. He revealed him as a God of his word. He revealed him as El Shaddai. He revealed him as Almighty God. He revealed him as El Elohim, which is an everlasting God. He revealed him as Jehovah Jireh, who is my provider. And Abraham's relationship with God was personal rather than formal. He was referred to in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, and in Isaiah 41, verse 8, and James 2, verse 23. He was revealed as the friend of God. We have an incredible picture of the life of Abraham. 
We have a, and we can apply so many things, the walk of faith that he actually walked and so many applications that we can apply to our own lives of things when we have to step out in faith or God calls us to a different way or he calls us to go somewhere or he asks us to do something that's so close to our heart that we have to actually almost kill it within ourselves before we can step forward. And so, you know, those, those kinds of things can be really, really difficult and really hard to do. But yet, through it all, God is faithful. God brings us to a place and teaches us so many lessons along the way of how we can be his image bearers because that is what we are to be, his image bearers to our community to our family, you know, to the people that we come across. We have a different language. We have a different way of living. And it's not superiority, but it's being able to, like Jesus, get down in the dirt and reveal the, the love, the compassion, the mercy, the grace, the righteousness, the morality of the God that we served. So this evening, what I'd like to do is, can we just pray? Why don't we stand and we can just pray and then we'll, I'll hand back to Danielle. No, I won't hand back to Danielle. We'll close the service and you can go and have a cuppa in the cafe. How does that sound? Okay. We hope you have been encouraged by this message. For more information, check out our website at desertlifechurch.org.